So the reading is uh, from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, and it's verse 6 to 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this passage. And even more than that, we thank you for the truth that is revealed in it. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done to bring us into your family. And so now as we look at this passage during the Advent season, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive and to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. During this Advent season, we're looking at John chapter 1. This is the best place in the Bible to go if you want to understand the theology, the doctrine of Christmas. What does it mean that at Christmas we sing Emmanuel, God is with us? Now, last week we talked about the root of Christmas, the very fact that Christmas is about God becoming man. That Jesus is, though human, fully divine. And so that's the root of Christmas, Jesus the God-man. Today, in the passage you just heard read, I want to talk about the fruit of Christmas. Why did Jesus come into the world? And the answer is there at the end of verse 13. Jesus was born of Mary so that you could be born of God. Jesus was born of Mary, so you could be born of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. What does it mean to be born of God? Or as the Bible sometimes calls it, the new birth. What does it mean to experience the new birth? So, three things that I want to show you in our sermon today. First, what is being born of God? What does that mean? Then second, what does being born of God give? could say, how does it change your life? And then third and finally, how does it happen? So what is being born of God? What is being born of God give or bring to your life? And then how does it happen? So first, what is being born of God? One of the common mistakes that many people make, and some of you probably are in this room, one of the mistakes that people often make when they think about Christianity is they assume that Christianity is a kind of self-help or self-improvement program. 
So something bad has happened in your life or something hard that you're facing and you think, oh, I'm gonna go to God because he can help me. He can make this better. Or maybe your life is actually going pretty well. You look out on the horizon of your life and you feel pretty good, but you can see one or two areas in your life where you could use an upgrade. You're like, yeah, we could upgrade that. And so you come to Jesus almost like he's a coach saying, I have all this natural talent, but this part of my game could be developed. Could you help me? And so many people, and many people who have gone to church for a long time, relate to God like he's there for your self-improvement, to make you a little bit better, a little bit nicer, a kind of upgraded version of yourself. And that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about making you nicer. It's not about making you a little bit better. It's about new life. It's about, in the language of the passage, being born of God. New birth. Now, John 1, the passage that we just had read, is the prologue or the introduction to John's gospel. Most of the themes that you find in these verses are repeated later in the story. And that's true with this idea of being born of God or the new birth. If you really want to understand what the new birth is all about, you've got to go to John chapter 3. Because in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus, we're told in the text, was a man who was very religious. He obeyed the Bible. He was a man who was very wealthy, so he had a lot of power. He was also a man who was very moral. He kept rules. He was generous. He was a good guy, the kind of guy you'd want as a neighbor. And so here's this man, Nicodemus, who's religious and generous and wealthy and powerful. And he comes to Jesus for a conversation about spiritual things. And the first thing Jesus says, he looks at Nicodemus square in the eye and he says to him, you must be born again. I mean, if anyone had the right to stand before God on their own merit, it was someone like Nicodemus. Religious, wealthy, powerful, influential, generous, a good man. And Jesus looks through all of that, cuts right through it, and says to even Nicodemus, you must be born again. You see, the new birth is not just about being nice or being good or being better. It's about experiencing life from God. Now, Nicodemus, when he heard Jesus say that, you must be born again, Nicodemus was confused, and maybe you are too. What does it mean to be born again or born of God? So Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can you get back into your mother's womb a second time? It's a funny but a pretty logical question. I mean, how could I be born again? And Jesus says, verse 5 of chapter 3, the new birth is about being born of water and born of the Spirit. If we want to understand what it means to be born of God, that's the key. Born of water and born of the Spirit. In the Bible, water is always an image that symbolizes cleansing or forgiveness. And so when Jesus says you've got to be born of God or born again, the first thing he means by that is you need forgiveness for your sin. And here at Reality Church London, we often say, and I'll say it until I'm not here anymore, we often say that sin is not first and foremost a set of behaviors, 
In our culture, it's easy to think of sin as like doing bad stuff. But that's not what the Bible said, says sin is ultimately. Ultimately, sin is it's a posture of the heart. It's a heart that says to God, I don't need you and I don't want you. So before it's any behavior, it's living life as your own savior. It's the illusion of self-sufficiency and self-absorption. And all the bad things and even some of the good things we do flows from that idol of self-sufficiency. That we're on the throne of our heart instead of God. And Jesus can look at someone even like Nicodemus who's religious and powerful and wealthy and good and say to him, you need to be born again. Because you need forgiveness. That even all the good stuff you do, you do not from a place of love and joy to serve God, but to be your own savior. Nicodemus, you need forgiveness for your sin. You need to be born of water. And second, not just born of water, but Jesus also says the new birth means being born of the Spirit. The Spirit. Which is Jesus' way of saying you need a whole new power for living. You see, when the Spirit of God comes into your life, it brings power. And Jesus says you need a power now in life to help you live for God and to live and love others. To serve, to, to have joy in the midst of sorrow. You see, when you take those two images together, water and spirit, what we realize Jesus is saying, <laughs> the difference between being born of God and just religion is this. Religion is about morally restraining your heart. But the new birth is about a supernaturally changed heart. And Jesus says, that's what you need, Nicodemus, and that's what you need today too. We need to be born of God we need forgiveness of sin and a new power for living. We need Jesus to cut through our darkness and to bring light and life from the outside. We need to be born of God. Now, in just a moment, we're going to get to the question, how does it happen? But before that, I want to press into this question, what does the new birth give? You say, okay, well, I understand what you're saying, but, but so what? Why do I need the new birth? What does the new birth give? And I want to just focus on one thing. There's actually quite a lot that being born of God gives or brings into a person's life. But as I was preparing for the sermon today, I just want to focus on one thing. When you experience the new birth, what does it bring into your life? One thing I want to talk about today, identity. Identity. One question that all of us and actually every person in this city is wrestling with is the question, who am I? Or what am I? And what is my life for? It's a question of identity. Now, in our city, there's at least three different ways that people try to build an identity. Some of you, and I'll raise my hand, I'll start with myself, this is probably the main way I build my identity, apart from Jesus. Some of you build your identity based on your achievements. We often connect this to work. I am what I achieve. And so the more successful I am, the more I meet my goals and I accomplish my tasks, I feel good about myself. And when I don't, when I fall short, when I compare myself to others who seem much more impressive than I do, I'm plunged into despair. So many people build an identity based on achievement, what you accomplish or what you perform or produce. I am what I achieve. And the result of that is you never get to rest. Because you probably have noticed, I sure have, there's always someone a little bit more impressive than you out there. 
If your identity comes from what you achieve, you never get to rest. Another way people build their identity is by comparing themselves to other people. You might say an identity based on relationship. I am what my parents think I am. Or I am what my kids think I am. Or I am how well my kids are doing. I am someone if that person loves me. And so we move through this world building our identity based on our perceived relationships to other people. And you all know the challenge with that is people are often fickle. And they're clouded with their own sin and stuff. And so if I build my identity off what other people think of me, I am subject to the ebbs and flows of those emotions. And I'm bound for despair. Another way, and this might be increasingly the most common way that people in our city build an identity, is some version of this, be true to yourself. You need to look inside yourself, discover what's there, and then express that to the world. No one gets to tell you who you are or how you should live. You need to discover that for yourself. Now, there's an element of health in that, and there's an element of truth. But let's be perfectly honest. When you look inside yourself, more often than not, don't you see just a lot of confusing and competing and even contradictory desires? I love ice cream, and I also want to work out and be healthy. Those two desires in my life are really strong, and they're often competing. They're often contradictory. Do I want to go for a jog or do I want to eat more of the coffee chocolate chip ice cream? And those desires, when I look inside Bijan, they're both there and they're pretty strong. So which is the real me? Which is my truer self? Now, of course, that's meant to be a silly example, but how about this one? Some of you want to be good parents or good husbands or wives, and you also want to have a great career. Overworking, being present with your family. (laughs) Which is the real you? And if your sense of identity is only found by looking within, what you're going to mostly find is confusion because inside you is actually a pretty confusing mess full of competing and contradictory desires. Where do you get your identity? Do you get it from what you achieve? Do you get it from what you see when you look inside? Do you get it from the people around you? Sooner or later, all those ways of building an identity are going to crush you. And that's why Christmas is the best news in the world. Jesus was born of Mary so you could be born of God. And that means if you're a Christian here today, your identity, your fundamental truth is that you are a child of God. Whatever else is true about you, and there are many other things that are true about you, the truest thing about you is that you have been born of God, that you are God's child. You are not what other people say you are. You are not what you feel like when you look inside yourself. You're not just the product of your achievements. You are a child of God. Now, that can sound abstract, I know. So what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is I want to say to you, if you're a child of God, this is what's true about you. I'm going to just give you five things. I'm going to actually give you scripture 
that God says, if you're his child, these are the things that are true of you. This is the foundation of your identity. And so I challenge you today, if you're a Christian here, listen and say, that's me. This is what God says about me. And if you're here today, if you're not a Christian, ask yourself, would you like these things to be true about you? Because it can. What does God say about those who are his children? First, you are loved. Many of us move through life feeling unloved and unlovable. Most of our vices are attempted shortcuts to love. But God says to you, if you're his child, this is Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I love that. God says, my love for you will last longer than anything else. Your fears, your guilt, your shame, your regret, my love goes farther. I have loved you with an everlasting love. You can't outrun the love of God for you. You're loved. Second, you are forgiven. If you're a child of God today, that means you are not the sum total of your biggest failures and mistakes. You might look at your life and see only regret, but God doesn't. When God looks at you, he says, I see your sin removed as far as the east is from the west. Do you, I love that. Do you know how far the east is from the west? It's infinitely, they're never gonna touch. And God says, that's how far your sin is removed from you. When you see yourself, you see all the wrong things you've done. God says, I don't see that. If you're my child, you are forgiven. More than that, not just love, not just forgiven. God says you are justified. Now that's a big theological word, but it's so beautiful. I have to bring it to you today. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 says that if you're a Christian, you have been justified by God's grace. Now here's what justification means. If God says you're justified, here's what he means. It's not just that you're not guilty, but that you actually are clothed with the very perfection of Jesus. Do you, when you stand before God, God doesn't just endure you. He doesn't just tolerate you like, oh yeah, there they are. When he sees you, he's pleased because he sees the very perfection of Jesus clothing you. So that what God said of Jesus at Jesus' baptism, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. When God looks down from heaven, that's what he feels towards you. Pleasure. He is glad you exist. That's what justification really means. That when you stand before God, you're not just not guilty, but you're clothed with the very perfection of Jesus. Fourth, loved, forgiven, justified. Fourth, you are delighted in. It's a pretty great feeling to know that somebody delights in you. It's a pretty great feeling. But the greatest feeling of all would be for the greatest person of all to delight in you. And the Bible says that if you're God's child, when he sees you, he's filled with delight. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17 says this. He, God, will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. 
When God sees you, he's so happy, he bursts out in song. That's what the passage is promising. That's what it means to be a child of God. That when God sees you, he starts grooving because he's so excited. It's a great thing to be delighted in and the greatest thing of all is to be delighted in by the greatest person of all. And the maker of the cosmos says, when I see you, I have to sing. And fifth, you are useful. You are useful. One of the main ways the devil lies to us is he tells you that you don't matter and anything you do doesn't really matter. Your life is of little consequence. You're not very useful. But if you're God's child, Jesus says to you right now, you are useful. And I know that because in John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus says to his children, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. That's the commission that Jesus gives to anyone who's his child. Now that's astounding. You might move through the world and feel like your life doesn't matter very much, but do you hear what Jesus just said? I'm giving you my mission. (laughs) Like the thing that I came into the world to do, I want you to carry on. That's how useful you are. You are that significant that the Son of God himself says, I'm passing you the baton. And I want you to finish the mission that I began. Loved, forgiven, justified, delighted in, and useful. That's what it means to be a child of God. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface. Do you see? If that's your identity, if that's the way you conceive of who you are in this world, you have an identity that can withstand anything. Doesn't mean you're not subject to despair and sadness sometimes. Sure, we all are. But if this is the anchor, then you have an identity that can weather any storm because it's rooted in the promise of God, I am his child. Jesus was born of Mary so I could be born of God. So how does it happen? Don't you want this? Don't you want to live more into the reality that you were a child of God? The question finally is, how does the new birth happen? How does the new birth happen? It's there in verse 12. Let me read it again to you. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus did it all, and believing receives it all. The way to become a child of God is to believe in Jesus. You say, well, that sounds easy enough. Believe? Yes. It's incredibly simple, and it'll cost you your whole life. Because to believe in the Bible isn't just merely assenting to facts. It's actually stepping out in trust. I'll give you an example. Earlier today... I walked up the stairs that are right over here and I came out onto this stage. Now, this is an act of faith because you don't know. Maybe in any instant, I'm going to fall right through the stage onto the floor. And yet, what did I do? I believed that this stage could hold the weight of my being. Why did I believe that? Because I started by using my reason, my rationality, and thinking. And I said... We live in London. London buildings have codes and they should be built safely. So probably this stage is safe. 
I also used the experience of others. I saw the band up here and nobody fell through. I also used the reality of my own experience. I've done this now about a hundred times and I've never fallen through before. So I used my reasoning, my thinking. I looked at the facts and I said, probably the stage can hold my weight. But the ultimate way I demonstrate my belief is by actually taking the risk and walking out onto the stage and surrendering my body to gravity and to this stage doing what it's supposed to do. Now you get the point. That Christian belief is not just assenting to facts. It's trusting in a person. It's surrendering your life to a person. So when John says, how do you become born of God? How do you experience the new life? It's by believing. It means knowing truth, investigating doctrine, but then surrendering your life to the person those doctrines proclaim. And so, maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus. Today's the day. You can be born of God. You can be part of God's family. You can have an identity that's strong enough to withstand anything. But for others of you, for many of you, you are Christian. This is your church. You have walked with God for a long time. You're called to believe today too. To trust and surrender afresh. Because even as I preached the sermon and I talked about being loved and delighted in and forgiven and justified, you say, well, I know those truths in my head, but they're not felt in my heart. You're not living in this world like someone who's loved and delighted in. So today is your day to surrender to. To believe by trusting afresh. By surrendering to God that part of your life that you've been holding on to that you don't want him prying in. Or that thing that you've been hoping and putting all your weight in that would come to pass. Or the things or the people that we've been holding on to that we know are keeping us from the fullness of what God wants for us. You see, today is a day of trusting, of believing, and of surrendering. And that's what we get to do now as we come to our time of response. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for your work through this passage and in our hearts. And so we pray now as we come to this time of response that by the power of your spirit, you would do something in our midst that transforms us. We don't want to be those who just go through the motions. We want to be born of God. We want to experience new life and new power, an identity that's unshakable and rooted in your promises. So right now during this time of response, God, we pray that you would cut through the noise, that you would help us trust and help us surrender. We pray all this for your glory and our good as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.